where we left off last time. Come on, clicker. I don't know if it's going to forward for me, Nick. Man, this thing's hot. Let me move it down a little bit. See if it'll go forward for us here. All right, well, I will just start by saying, okay, we left off. We left off last lesson with um, Jesus the cook and talking about, um, you know, the fact that as an occupation, you know, someone who, who prepares food, who makes food, who, well, we'll say prepares food for human beings, the difference between what we do and what Jesus does, you know, um, we might prepare food or cook food, but Jesus makes it. You know, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the giver of all good things, all good gifts. And we got into talking about the breakfast that Jesus prepared for his uh, disciples uh, and then the, uh, the seasoning that he uses, how he makes us salt so that we can be seasoning to others. The next part we're getting into is supper time. Well, I still didn't want to go forward for me there. Let's see if... There we go. Just go, go forward one, uh, another one. Can you... There we go. Oh, oh, go back. I'm sorry. Go back a couple. Whoa. Okay, we're going to sing. <laughs> when we all get to heaven. Yeah, that's great. I love it. We'll get... <laughs> if you can get back to the slides and get it to supper time for me, that'll work, man. We'll, we'll just move with what we got for now. Whenever you get it, get it up, we'll, we'll be good. All right, so supper time, all right? Supper time. There we go. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, sometimes, I, trust me, I've, I've manned a booth before, and sometimes it can, be, it can be trying. It can be difficult. So this is nothing, reflecting nothing bad about them. They, these guys up there do a spe- spectacular job. Uh, I, I, know, I know how it goes, so thanks. What's that? Don't make them mad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Don't make them mad. That's right. Um, well, my, my favorite meal has always been supper. Um, and you got to be careful down here because in the South, words for meals can get confusing. Because uh, here's, here's an example. My dad is always called lunch, dinner. But he's never... <laughs> see, Bob does it too. Bob does it too. But, but he's never called supper, dinner. Okay. And then if you go up north, they'll call supper dinner, right? So it gets confusing. But what I do, I try to make it simple by call, calling lunch, lunch, and supper, supper, and effectively cutting out the use of the word dinner altogether. So I don't use the word dinner. I never say, let's go to dinner. I say, let's go to lunch or let's go to supper. And then I know that people will understand what I'm saying. Because if I say to dinner, they're like, do you mean, do you mean supper? Or do you mean the nighttime meal or what? So, you know. Um, but the supper that we share together will always be supper no matter what. You know, whenever we take the Lord's Supper up here, we always call it the Lord's Supper, even though we take it in the morning. We don't call it the Lord's Breakfast. It's always the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the last meal Jesus shared with his disciples prior to his crucifixion, but hardly the last meal he ever ate with them. And we already mentioned one of them in this study. Uh, you know, the, the breakfast that he had with them after his resurrection and so on and so forth. And I'm sure that he ate with people... After that, even. But the significance of that meal, the Lord's Supper, is such that we must recognize it and understand it for what it is a way to remember Jesus when he was a pre resurrected person. Jesus didn't cook the Lord's Supper as far as we know. Um, in fact, it seems that it was already prepared when they arrived at the place where they ate. But Jesus did make the Lord's Supper, 
All right, and there's the difference again between cooking and making. Jesus made the Lord's Supper. If you look over in Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, go this up there. We'll see, the, we'll see a precursor, all right? Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. When Jesus took the bread and the cup, he turned the whole concept of Passover on its head. The passage that we just read was about Passover. He effectively made something new, something that would forever after transcend the Passover and every other meal that had ever been established, every other meal that had ever been partaken of. Um, another passage, the Luke passage that I have up there on the, on the, screen, on the screen. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. Uh, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus here transformed the Passover meal into a new permanent Passover that will remind of, uh, us of a man, the man, who would soon become the first fruits of the resurrection and the second Adam. And all that is referenced in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 through 28 about becoming the first fruits and the second Adam, the one who would return us to a state of sinlessness, a state where we could be with God, commune with him again. Um, and I think, you know, as we had talked about in uh, last uh, Sunday, when Jesus had that breakfast with his disciples after he was raised from the dead, after they caught the 153 fish, um, Jesus, it seems, in that passage, was using that meal. You know, they, again, it said they didn't, uh, they didn't dare ask him who he was. So he was somehow unfamiliar to them. And he, he used that meal, it seems, to reintroduce himself to the disciples there. And I think that that's what is happening when we partake of the Lord's Supper every time. Every Sunday when we come here and we have that supper with Jesus, we commune with him, we sit at table with him, he is reintroducing himself to us again. He is reminding us of something. It's, it's more than just a remembrance of who he is or who he was or however you want to put it. I think it's a reintroduction of him to us to remind us that I'm with you. I'm not just someone who is distant from you. I'm not someone who, who came and then went and, okay, now you're here and I'm there kind of thing. No, Jesus is present. And he isn't just present during the meal. He should be present in our lives every day. So this meal, much like the breakfast they had together, this supper that we have with Jesus, is that reintroduction of the Lord in our lives. It's, it's, a, it's a, not just a reminder, but a, a, a communion, a reintroduction, a meal we have together with Jesus. 
<clears throat> just like we see here in the Luke passage we read a moment ago. Jesus is the only person who can make food, create food, okay? He has given us the bread of life, and he is the one who brings the manna we need, the bread that sustains us. He makes us the kind of salt that can only be dug up in the wilderness and creates in us a spring welling up into everlasting life. Every morning when we awake, Jesus invites us to break our fast and sit at his table. He breaks the bread and names himself as that bread, and he fills the cup to overflowing, cleansing our hearts and souls. As we, we as participants with places at his table can bring the best of the best from that table to all of humanity, offering to them what the great cook himself has made for all those who would follow after him. See, when we commune with Jesus when we have that reintroduction to him, that reminds us of, or it should remind us of who he is and why he is not just important in our lives, but everything to us. And with that reminder, with that rejuvenation that we receive, with that reintroduction to Christ every Lord's day, we can take that as a reminder and we can reintroduce the world to Jesus. We can use that information and that that participation we have with him at his table to introduce the world to Jesus. The, the Lord's Supper isn't just a one-trick pony, in other words. It isn't just a one, you know, okay, I remember Jesus, I'm done. That's not it. It's so much more. There's so much more depth to it, I believe, and I think it's important for us to understand that and to take that importance and that significance to the world around us. Um, I, hope, I hope that we do. I hope we do that. Just to finish up with a work application. There we go. Woo, all right. Um, and then we'll try to close out the lesson again to the next one. Still trying to stay ahead. Jesus knew and knows the power of food. He used it to reveal himself to people, not just the man, but his whole amazing self. Jesus used meals to initiate conversations that would not have taken place otherwise. He ate with people who would have been rejected otherwise and gave them acceptance and love they didn't dream of or expect. We have this same power today, you and me. We have the ability to do this, um, to bring people in through uh, meals, through communion, through talking uh, and sharing with people. Ask a friend out to lunch and talk to them about Jesus. Don't force it, just... Draw it into the conversation and watch the lights come in, come on in their heart, mind, soul, and soul. In the process, we season the conversation with love and peace and joy that comes only from Jesus. And in our work, we do the same, encouraging others and showing them deference and love, deferring to others, loving others, you know, bringing peace and joy to others in our conversations, in our sharing of the Lord with them, in our introduction of Jesus to them. Uh, through a meal, you know. Maybe not this meal necessarily, but a meal. It's a way to bring us together with them and them together with Christ. Jesus makes food, but he also transforms it into something new and significant. When he took the bread uh, and lamb and cup at Passover, he completely changed the way it will be seen forever. Jesus used the Passover meal as a chrysalis through which the hearts, minds, and souls of his people metamorphosed 
into new and beautiful components in a new kingdom. And we can take situations and words through a metamorphosis as well. When we speak lovingly and graciously towards those outside of Christ and bring them patiently into his kingdom, Jesus transfigures them into something completely new. This is true for how we accomplish our work as well. Everything can be changed by the way we offer sweet words and, uh, and care and an ethos of work that makes a difference to everyone around us. It's that carrying forward of the kingdom into the world. Just, uh, okay. Hey, Nick, hit, hit one more slide for, for me, for, for me uh, real quick, if you can, please. We're going to be looking at a few questions, and then we'll move into the next lesson. So, do you season your words? There you go. Do you season your words at work or out in the world, we'll say? And how do you season your words? Now think of the seasoning we talked about in this lesson. You know, how are we seasoning our words to the world? Okay, all right. Be patiently consider what you say before you say it. Yeah, don't retort, okay? Sometimes it's easy to get in arguments with people, right? You know, it's, it's too easy, <laughs> I'm afraid, for us to just off the cuff be like, well, you're wrong and this is the truth. And we, we got to be careful. We have to not uh, fall for that, for that. We can't fall for that. We have to, to season our words and be patient and loving and peaceful with people, right? That's great. This, I love teaching in here because I get wisdom like this from you guys. Miss Nell's like, whatever. No, seriously, that's good information. If, no, if y'all could hear what she said, if you couldn't hear what she said, basically the idea is, you know, seasoning, seasoning your words is sort of like when we deal with our children. If you, if you just off the cuff yell at them, then all they're going to hear is the yell. They're not going to hear the admonition. They're not going to hear the reproof, uh, or the, the important rebuke that says, okay, here's... The, here's where you went wrong. And now let's together look at how we, you can do better next time and take it patiently and lovingly and peacefully. And I, that's a lesson I can do better with. You know, it's a lesson we could probably, probably all do better with, with with our kids, you know, especially if we have younger children. Younger children, because sometimes they can really, you know, set you off. Um, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Seasoning our words. Okay, well, how... Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. That's good. That, that is appropriate. That is apropos. That's great. So taste your words before you spit them out. Thank you. 
That's, that's, a, that's good. I like that. That's great. Well, anything else before I, we move on to the next question? So we, we don't want to be uh, so, uh, I guess the word, I'm trying to think of a good word for it. Well, we don't, we don't want to be to the point where we, we're not being truthful to the extent and plain to the extent that we need to be to speak to people about sin and, and, and things that are, are wrong. Um, but even, even in circumstances where we're speaking to people about wrong, we, we teach the truth in love. And and those things all go together, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that, yeah. I've heard people will say before, if you you know, if you have this truth and you really believe you have this truth, then the most unloving thing you could do is to not tell someone. <laughs> You know, so it's important to, like you said, not mince words, but but to present it in a way, like you said, Peter, when he on the day of Pentecost, when he did very plainly speak to his Jewish brethren, so to speak, he he spoke to them out of a, a place of love. It wasn't like you bunch of jerks crucified Jesus. Now, come on, you know, he didn't do it that way. He 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 said, you know. Um, this same Christ who you crucified can save you, and I want you to be saved. Um, that's why I'm telling you. Not because I hate you, but because I love you. Because I want to bring you to Jesus. And that's, I appreciate that, George. That's a great point. We have to be careful about not being too easy, so to speak. Thank you. All right, so how can we make our words fresh, new, and significant to those around us? This is tough in today, in today's world. How do we do that? By listening first. Okay. All right. You, you want to expound on that a little bit? Okay. 
Okay. great so to bring that significance to someone first you have to be significant to them i guess is what it comes down to if if we're not if we don't play a significant role in someone's life before we try to bring christ to them a lot of times it's not going to make much difference to them um i mean if somebody wants to find out something about jesus you know like rachel was saying you hand them a brochure or if you send them a website or post something on facebook sorry this is probably not going to cut it that's just not going to cut it. Um, it's not significant to them. That's stuff they can find themselves. Everybody can Google something. <laughs> you know, anybody can. We have to go deeper than that. We have to get down to where they are. We have to be in, a, in, a, in a, an area where we can speak to them um, and love them and show them that it's, it's about uh, a relationship, not just a, a piece of information. All right. When was the last time you went to lunch with someone who was not in Christ, and, and what did you talk about? <clears throat> Anybody in here ever ever take a coworker or somebody out to to lunch, or just go? You don't have to. I mean, go Dutch. I'm not saying you have to pay for them, <laughs> unless you want to, and that's great. But you know, I'm just saying, go to lunch with someone, hang out with them, and then how do you? Is there any way you work that into your conversation? Is there there's some tips you can give the rest of us as to how you're presenting Jesus to that person? true yeah and, it, and it, that's great Emmy so Emmy was saying that, oh sorry she and Steve had run into someone in the Walmart parking lot and were talking to them and sharing with them about you know how the significance of God in their own lives those those are important ways to share um I can give you a couple of examples I'm sorry Bob go ahead well I want to hear what you have to say no <laughs> not in any way <laughs> Astounding if you start asking the people a few questions. You don't have to be prying. Just 
Yeah. And you can learn lots that way. Yeah. And that's what Ben Franklin told us a long, long time ago, but nobody, including me, nobody observes that very much. Yeah, that's true. So if we don't show people that we care off the bat by asking questions about them rather than talking about ourselves, that, that's an important aspect to, to even getting close to finding out their struggles, finding out who they are, you know, getting them to the point where they'll even share their struggles, you know, things of that sort, so that we can work with them along those lines. Um, uh, there, and there are just so many opportunities. Um, there are just so many opportunities out there. Um, uh, I have a, a, a dear friend who I studied with for um, over a year um, at work. His name's Kenny, Dr. Kenny Dickerson. And he, he now is in Saudi Arabia. And we studied together uh, for lunch every day for uh, about a year. Um, and uh, just the conversations and the sharing and the closeness, the, the bond that we formed together through those studies, um, it's the kind of bond that, that we all should have, you know, as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that's how, you know, and I'm going to go ahead and put in a plug for this Sunday Lunch Bunch because that's what this ministry is really all about. It's about sharing Christ with each other. Because if we can't figure out how to share Christ with each other, if we can't talk to each other about Jesus, who is the most important person in our lives, how do we expect to talk to, talk to anybody else? who's outside of Christ about him. We got to practice on each other. We got to come in here and we got to sit down together and tell each other why Jesus is important to us and what he's done for us and how much he's changed our lives, how he's transformed us, how he transforms everything and and how he can transform everyone, how he recreates everything, you know? If we're not practicing that, if we're not making that a... uh, if we're not making that a priority, then there's no way in the world we're, we're going to really be able to effectively share the gospel out in the world. Um, all right. So go to Sunday Lunch Bunch. That's the lesson. <laughs> I think we'll learn a lot from each other there. Um, all right, let's move on to the next lesson. Uh, if it, anybody have any comments or anything before we move on? wonderful. So having Jesus before you every day. And I think it's important that, you know, we set Jesus before each other too, right? You know, continually trying to reintroduce Jesus to each other and, and, and build that relationship between each other and with him together as a body of, of Christians. So that's great. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Okay. So I titled this one, is kind of, we're moving into the more professional lines of work now. We've kind of, with Jesus the Cook, we, we wrap up the blue-collar, so to speak, types of, of work that we see in our society today. Um, and, you know, the type of laborer type of work. And now we're moving more into the quote-unquote professional type of work, um, the kind that you usually sit behind a desk for. 
you maybe make a little more money at. Uh, you maybe even have to have uh, a few degrees to do. Okay? And a public relations representative is one of those kinds of things. Um, and Jesus was and still is at the forefront of every level of society and culture throughout the world. Okay? Look, at, look at what's going on in China, in, in uh, India, uh, in Africa. Throughout the whole world, Jesus is becoming, he's flourishing. He's, he's being spread all over the place. And it's going to continue to happen, I believe. Early on in his ministry, he showed over and over again his willingness and ability to overcome social barriers and conventions to bring the gospel to everyone within every sector of society. Jesus communicated with, healed, preached to, and ate with everyone from government-sponsored thieves, tax collectors, (laughs) and prostitutes to the religious elite of the day. He spanned all of culture. As we look at Jesus and his perfect way of handling public relations, let's keep in mind how he sees groups and people for who they are. Make statements that lead to his goals and brings his word to everyone at every station in life. First, we'll look at Jesus. Well, if we can get it to go forward. Just forward a slide for me if you, get it, if you can, sir. First, we'll look at Jesus' vision. Jesus' vision. Jesus knows how you are, not just who you are. He can see right through all of us. He has x-ray vision into our souls. So it shouldn't be surprising that he's able to understand people in groups from every direction. He sees the inside, outside, upside, and downside of everyone, and he knows exactly how to use us all for his purpose. But when it comes to public relations, Jesus was interested in showing the world something entirely different and beautiful, not just what they wanted to see, as PR professionals are encouraged to do today. For someone who's public relations, you're supposed to bring things out that people wouldn't normally see. I recently took an information operations course at Maxwell Air Force Base, um, where I work. I work out there as a civilian. There were several Air Force Public Affairs officers in the course, and one of the blocks of training actually dealt with how PA officers are supposed to interact with media and other members of the military. The main thing that stood out concerning their operations is that they must always, always tell the truth. That was their main thing. Always tell the truth if you're in public affairs. Truth-telling is absolutely essential to the success of Air Force public affairs. Without the truth, you lose support, credibility, and the ability to operate in the interests of the Air Force and its members. You've got to tell the truth. Jesus not only tells the truth, he is the truth. His vision into people revolves around, the fact, around this fact and allows us to see who he is and who we are. Because he is The truth. Truth Truth-telling. It's important. In John chapter 4, we see an account of the Samaritan woman who talks to Jesus about the living water. He explains to her how the living water will sustain her forever. Of course, the fact that Jesus was talking to a woman would have been seen as almost insane to a casual onlooker at that time. But a Samaritan woman? Had the Pharisees and scribes been watching, they would probably have condemned Jesus on the spot. We see some of this incredulity in his disciples when they come back and see Jesus talking to her. 
In verse 27 of John chapter 4, they say this. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Earlier, oh, thank you. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Um, Earlier in their conversation, Jesus reveals some important things to the woman. Um, And I think this is verses 21 through 26. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will follow will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. But it isn't until later after this conversation that we see the PR genius of Jesus. The woman goes back to town and he brings and she brings some amazing news with her. Um, later in this passage, uh, 39 through 42, it says, Many Samaritans, I'm sorry, yeah, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This lady goes back with this information that Jesus gave her. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, so they actually come to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus knew... (laughs) He knew exactly what to do and say to the Samaritan woman to get her to see him for who he is. But most importantly, he told the truth and showed himself to be the truth. This kind of goes back to what George was saying a minute ago. Telling the truth. Being up front with the truth. And in this case, being the truth to those who are around you. And because he told the Samaritan woman the truth, because he was the truth to her, what happened? She took the truth to other people. And then the other people came to see who? They came to see Jesus. And they found that truth for themselves. Jesus worked everything masterfully to his purposes. Another uh, tenet of Air Force Public Affairs is to provide timely information and imagery. So whenever you're trying to get stuff to the media, you want to give them the most up-to-date information and pictures to go with it. You want them to see and to hear exactly what's going on just at the right time. And Jesus did this. He did this in his preaching, but also in the way he interfaced with the leaders of the day. He controlled the situation exactly as he wanted it to go. And we can see one presentation of information and imagery in Matthew chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. And I want you to recognize here that Jesus is molding this situation himself. He's making things go the way he wants them to go, okay? And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which of you, if he has a sheep and it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, won't take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is this man than a sheep? 
So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now just a casual onlooker might go, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus messed up. He should have just, uh uh-oh, they're going to destroy him. They're trying to destroy him. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly why the Pharisees were there and why they asked the question. They were looking for anything they could get to accuse him. And Jesus knew this well. So he strategically molded the situation to show and tell the Pharisees the truth. He used timely information and an image of someone getting healed right before them to get this information across to him. He knew they wouldn't accept it. But he also knew his ultimate purpose and used it toward that end. Jesus had the vision and the sight into the hearts of the Pharisees to guide this and many other situations toward his goal. And he makes this very clear in John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. Now listen what Jesus says here, because it goes right along with what he just did. He's molding the situation. He knows what's going on. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus here is systematically laying down his life so that he can take it up once more, thereby completing the most amazing and effective PR campaign in history. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus molds every situation exactly the way he wants it to go. And that's, he, he used the Pharisees. He used those elite of that day to accomplish his goals, not the other way around. Yeah, the, they might have gotten him dead on the cross like they wanted, but ultimately that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted to lay down his life for us because he says it right there in that John passage. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord so that I can take it up again so that you and I can have life eternally with him. That's how he works. All right, Jesus' goals. Do I just hit the forward button, Nick? Okay, I'm going to see if this goes. Oh, there we go. I got it. Jesus' goals. Yay, it worked. Yes. Yes. a great point, Jim. If you didn't hear what Jim was saying, Jesus 
here talking to the Samaritan woman seems to prime the Samaritan people for a later event that takes care and uh, takes place in Acts. Was it chapter eight? You said when multitudes of Samaritans come to believe in Christ, because Christ had already been there. He'd already presented himself. He'd already said he was the Messiah of these people. So Jesus, you know, it isn't just short-term goals here that Jesus is looking for. It's long-term, right? He's looking into the future. His vision is way out there. So much farther, so much uh, greater than we can even understand. All right. Yeah, yeah, George. Right. We, we went to the source, and we, it's like the, uh, the Bereans, you know, the Bereans from Renewable because they search the scriptures every day. They're going to the source to find the truth. They, they, they received the truth from the Samaritan woman, but then they went back and they received the truth from the source itself. And that, that is very wise, a very wise way to approach uh, faith in general. Um, because if we try to live on someone else's faith, it's not, it's not going to work, right? We have to live on on our own faith in, in Jesus himself. Thanks, George. I appreciate it. All right. So Jesus' goals. I want to try to move through this <clears throat> if we possibly can. Just as, as we just read, Jesus made statements that led to his goals. Jesus is the master of guiding hearts and minds in the direction he wants them to go. It's not a matter of manipulation, but one of understanding and working for the best result. The, and, and again, I, I want to stress that. It's not about manipulating people. Okay? We can't manipulate people into becoming believers in Christ. We have to be honest and, and, and just and proper with them. The, the, greatest, the greatest good is what comes out of that. Um, Jesus operated in the same three domains that PR people do today. Physical, informational, and cognitive. But of course, he operated above these domains consistently in the spiritual domain. And this super domain allowed Jesus to affect the other domains in a way that no other person could. What I want to do is look at each area and see how Jesus used his spiritual understanding to accomplish the goals. So above the um, physical, informational, and cognitive domains of how he approached everything, there was something above that, the spiritual domain, that fed into everything he did and everything he does and everything we should do. So first off, the physical domain. Jesus is man and God. Okay, we understand that, we get that, maybe not completely, but we know that's true. The fact is, 
The fact that he is a man puts him squarely in the physical contact and the physical domain with people. This physical dimension is seen throughout his ministry in the way he interacts with people everywhere. In Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34, we see the account of the woman who had a bleeding disease for 12 years. In Jewish society, this was uh, as much a social death sentence as leprosy. If she touched anyone as dictated by Levitical law, they were unclean. This poor woman would have been a complete outcast for 12 years of her life. Not just that, but in order to have the healing she needed, she would have to do the unthinkable and touch Jesus. So when Jesus asked, who touched my garments, you see her reaction. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. It's in verse 33. She was terrified to tell Jesus that she, an unclean pariah, had just touched him, thereby making him ceremonially ceremonially unclean under Jewish temple law. She probably suspected that he would at the very least scream at her, but Jesus does something entirely different and beautiful in verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, he calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. That's so beautiful. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Isn't that awesome? With this act of mercy and grace, Jesus opens up the entire world to this woman. He gives her back not only her health, but the ability to go to the synagogue again, to live in her own house with her family, touch and be touched by anyone. Jesus gives her an abundant life. But what seems to be most confusing and redundant is the end of the verse where Jesus, after he has already said, your faith has made you well, tells her to be healed of your disease. Isn't that interesting? He says, your faith made you well, now go be healed of your disease. You think maybe he could have been talking about a different disease? Could Jesus have been speaking to her about the same disease she was already healed of, or was he reaching farther down to the roots of sin? See, Jesus operates within that physical domain of healing her of her physical disease, but he comes up higher than that, and he says, now you be healed of your spiritual disease. No matter what, Jesus recognizes the spiritual aspect of faith is what made her well, and through this, he operates within the spiritual domain, thereby raising the significance of the physical healing he just performed. Jesus operates above just what he did when he gave that woman the healing from her disease. And he does the same with us today. I hope we'll take this with us. Uh, We'll start with information domain next Sunday. Thank you.